Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. I'm Kim Thompson-Pinder, the extraordinary word ninja and founder of RTI Publishing, where we work with you to ghostwrite and publish your signature book that will double your business by attracting clientele and position you as the go-to expert in your niche. Next, we will show you how to use your book to make lead generation and conversion a snap while building an audience. My guests include professionals, entrepreneurs, and coaches who use their skills to build people powerfully. They will share their story and powerful tips that will help you live better. They will also share their writing journey and how it has impacted their life and the lives of their readers. If you've ever wondered if writing a book makes a difference, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today, Today, I have a very wonderful guest on the show, and I met Brandon just, well, yesterday, and he applied to be on the show, and I was so impressed by what he told me that I knew he needed to be on the show and share on his heart, what's on his heart with you. So Brendan is the founder of Master Talk, a YouTube channel he started to help the world master the art of public speaking and communication. He coaches purpose-driven entrepreneurs on how to master their message and share their ideas with the world. And when he started working with C-suite executives, he was 23. So you're in for some really... Good stuff. So welcome to the show, Brendan. Thanks for having me, Kim. That was a really good introduction. Gee, you know, I read really well. (laughs) (laughs) Which means you write very well. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yes, I do read the bios on the show, and I try to make it sound like I'm just talking. But the truth is, I do read the bios, because you guys all write very good ones. So, Brendan, you... Tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Absolutely. So like you mentioned, I make YouTube videos on public speaking through Master Talk and how I got started was when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while a lot of my, my friends, you know, played football or watched college football or soccer or rugby and ate chicken wings, I still ate the same junk that they did. But I wasn't watching college presentations. I wasn't watching football presentations. I mean, I was watching people present. And that was my life for three years. Day in, day out, I'd be presenting, presenting, solving business problems for different companies. So by the time I graduated university, I'd present over 500 times, coach multiple dozens of people on how to speak better, communicate their ideas. And I had a great job in corporate. But when I looked back at my life and I started, you know, making, making good money over there, I kind of just said, how do I make an impact in the world? How do I make a bigger difference? That's when the idea for the YouTube channel came to me. Cause I realized that a lot of the content frankly sucked on YouTube. So I want to make a difference there. So I know we talked about this before, but share with the audience, talk a little bit more about these competitions. Cause when you told me what you had to do for these competitions, I was incredibly amazed at, you know, what you were doing at such a young age. Yeah, it's pretty insane. Think of it like a subculture within a subculture. So, so the context for these competitions is simple. Business gives you a problem and you have to solve it. 
So let's say, for example, McDonald's comes up to us and says, Kim, Brendan, you know, there's a lot of these hippie people who are eating salads all the time. I need them back into McDonald's eating hamburgers, fries. What can we do about this? So what, this is an example of a, a problem, like a prompt. So how do you solve this? So obviously, we could do things like, you know, introduce healthier options, like with the salads and things like that. So as a team, we have to do the following. Read a 20-page document that outlines everything about the company. Make slides on the situation that's occurring. Present the slides. Make a risk and mitigation statement. Find financials. Do a thorough analysis. Find the solution. At the end of the three hours, we have to re-present as if we spent months working on this thing. Right? Because the second the three hours are up, you don't have time to practice. And the reason why we did these things is why would anyone put themselves through this craziness? It's because a lot of these companies, a lot of the top companies in the world, think IBM, McKinsey, BCG, Bain & Company, a lot of these top schools, well, case competitions is a feeder school for those opportunities in the corporate world. So I'll give an mm. example. Two years ago, because in, in Montreal, we host one of the world's largest case competitions. So 19 countries from around the world come to present PowerPoint slides. And it's crazy. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's nuts. And the case <laughs> sponsor was Walmart that year. So they spent 30 grand sponsoring this thing. Not three grand, $30,000. And the person who presented the case like to the students wasn't a manager at Walmart. It was the senior vice president of Walmart Canada. And we're like 20. We're just there like, oh, what's up, dude? So we have to <laughs> But when we present to them, it's good afternoon to the board of directors of Walmart. My name is Brandon. I'm very excited. To and I was 20 years old when we were doing that, right? So you learn really quickly, basically. <laughs> wow. That's incredible to be doing something like that. I mean, most people in general couldn't do that, let alone someone of your age. Wow. What incredible experience that must have been. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And so you said this actually helped helped your career and helped you get a really good job right from the start. Yeah, you got it. So so the reason why this is so beneficial and why most people compete is to get jobs. So that's why I started. But then I just became it just became an obsession. Like it always starts that way for people. You're like, oh yeah, I want to get this job at IBM or at McKinsey. Let me just apply. Let me do this thing. And after you're in, you're just it's like it's like being on a football team. It's like being on a professional dance team. You're just like, no, we gotta win. Like we're up against York, Guelph, uh, Brock University. We gotta come out number one, right? So we're like, it's like we're all fighting against each other. Great. But the benefit is not only that it's fun and a lot of crazy people are in this program. Think it's like 80 people in this program, 400 people apply every year, 80 people get in, and there's 8,000 students in our faculty. Wow. And almost all of them get like three to five job offers after they graduate. Nice, nice. So are you still working in a corporate job or are you just slowly, uh, solely an entrepreneur because you do have that entrepreneurial element? You got it. So, so I'm side hustling master talk for now, but it's quickly replacing my income. So I don't think... Uh, I'll be there for a while, but I really enjoyed, you know, I got the dream job I wanted and it gave me that flexibility to think outside the box. So I do both at the same time. That is so cool. And, and you know what, that's, that's the thing with being an entrepreneur. Everybody has a different journey to get there. And for some people, the journey to entrepreneurship, they start it while they still have the career, build it up enough so that it replaces their career. And, you know, it, it does. It takes a lot of sacrifice because you've just already worked a full day and now you almost have to work another full day on top of it. 
But if it helps you to live your dream, you know, that's something that's so amazing. I'd been blessed with the fact that my husband has a decent job. And so it, it has afforded me the ability to be able to work on building my business full time. I don't have to work on top of it because he's got the decent salary. So what the extras that I bring in are, you know, just help us to do the other things that we want. So, you know, I'm really thankful for that, but that's not everybody's situation. And, you know, I applaud people who, you know, do the career and build their business at the same time. And you know what, starting out the younger you are, the easier it is. That's what most people miss. Right. Is, is, it's true because now I have no commitments besides my own personal family, right? My mother and sister, but I don't have a wife or a mortgage or what do they call it? Kids. Right. I don't have that. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what is this kids? No, no. <laughs> so I got time. So I have a lot more time to build master talk for sure. Yes. And you know, you, you can still do it while you're married as long as you spend some time each day with your wife. But once the kids come, Oh, they just go. My um, grandbaby is 15 months old and that child never stops, never stops moving, never stops exploring, never stops getting into everything. Like you can't turn your back on him for a moment. So when he's at our house, there's usually like four adults of us all watching him to make sure he doesn't get into things. So yes, children do change the amount of time you have available to work on your business. Yeah, that's, let's just say the goal is to, is to be successful before that, that phase of my life begins. I think that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Let's hope for the best. So I know you come today prepared to talk about how to master the art of public speaking. And so I'm going to let you loose for a while to share. And I know you came with three or four really good main points that you wanted to share with us. So I'm going to let you loose to do that. Absolutely, Kim. Let's get started. So number one, okay, is to understand where the fear of public speaking comes from. Because think about it, whether you're from Japan the US, Canada, you know, Asia, Europe, we're all scared of public speaking, but we don't know why. So let me add more layer to that thinking. Let's answer the following question. Where do we give most of our presentations? And the answer School. is the classroom. Exactly. You're very good at this. It's almost as if you've heard this before. It's very intuitive. Oh, so. yeah. Gee, you know what? I was always really good at hearing things and then remembering them and repeating them back again <laughs> it's like essential entrepreneurial skills right here so yeah exactly so we don't wake up one morning right and go hey kim you want to get breakfast at timmy's or somewhere and just present all day nobody does that kind of thing it doesn't make sense we're in high school together teacher comes up to us says you know i need like a presentation on the renaissance and you're there like what is this like a fruit and you figure it out that it's like a time period in history you got to present it but anyways, three things happen. The first thing is we never get to pick the topic. And if we do, it's generally something we're not passionate about. Two, students don't care. Not because they don't care about us. They like us. We're awesome people. But they're not paying attention because they're worried about their own presentation, which is a very rare thing where you present in front of a group who are also presenting. Because normally when you give a presentation, 
people are just listening to because they don't have a presentation to give five minutes after you. That doesn't work in, high, in school. That's not how it works. And then you have teachers who are super stressed, very competent, very well-educated, but they can't coach everyone individually because they got 40 students. They got two classes to go through this entire thing. So when you're not picking the topic, when your students don't care and the teachers are too tired to coach people and too stressed, this behavior gets perpetuated in all of our presentations because we give all of them at school. Math, sciences, art, music, gym, English, French, languages, on and on and on and on. We're taught to believe that public speaking is a chore. It's a responsibility. It's an obligation. It's tied to a grade or for at work. It's tied to a result or else we'll get fired instead of looking at communication for what it's supposed to be a way to share an idea, a way to make a difference, a way to have a conversation, a way to have an impact. So once we shift that mindset, by the way, this is why people in theater love public speaking, not because they're smarter than us, not because they're more extroverted, but because their perception of public speaking is different. When they look at public speaking, they say, yeah, you know, it gives me an opportunity to like, perform and entertain and add value to teach a lesson. Whereas Eric, who's valedictorian of his class, 15 years old, studies books all day, goes, this presentation thing, not for me. Don't like this thing. And every time I think about presentations, I think about my mom, and it's not very cool. <laughs> you get it? So it's like a different perspective. We got to change that. Well, like I shared with you before, you know, I was doing, in school, we did our first speeches like grade four or five. So I was like nine, 10 years old. And just like you said, the teacher didn't have time to teach you. I mean, it was one of those things that we had to do every single year. Teachers hated it. The students hated it. You know, the teachers did it because they were forced to, because there were speech competitions. So you had to have a class competition and then a school competition. And then they went on to the next level. And so nobody wanted to do these speeches. And I can remember... Uh, you know, doing my speech. And if I could just have read it, it would have been really good. But, you know, the teacher's like, okay, you got one little, you know, cue card that you've got to fit your, your, the notes for your speech on. And you're not supposed to read your speech. You're supposed to kind of memorize it and just use your notes as a reference. And, you know, I was not good at that. And they didn't teach you how to memorize a speech or even how to really write a speech. And so when I got up there, you know, this cue card was filled. Every piece of white was filled because I wrote it out word by word. And of course, the writing was really tiny. So then when I went to do my speech, I really couldn't read it. <laughs> and so it just wasn't a very good speech because I stood up there and went, uh, yeah, and, um, and looking down at your cue card trying to think of something to say. So, you know, and then of course, you know, kids would start to laugh and, you know, your self-worth is basically in the dumps and yeah, exactly. It's like, itty, bitty, bitty. And so, you know, for me, that, that developed a fear of, of public speaking and it was something that I carried with me for a long time. And it's only really been in the last few years that I enjoy it. I've done it. I've done it many times over the years. But the last few years, I really enjoy it now. And I love getting up and talking in front of people. And it's because, like you said, I get to go up and share something of value to me and something that I know is going to be valuable to the other people. And to be honest, I really don't care what they think about me anymore. 
they don't That's like awesome. me so what i got a whole group of people who love me what more do i need <laughs> that's the key very very ontario represent that's the way <laughs> but yeah exactly i agree with you we need to change the way that we think about public speaking especially the fear because once we realize that the fear as you will demonstrate with your amazing example the fear is not our fault ever it's the institution and the curriculum's fault the system that we grew up with is the issue not the person Right, like I grew up in a French education system for people who are listening. That means not, and I don't speak French. So that means I, I grew up uncomfortable presentations and presenting them in a language I didn't even know. So when I was in grade four and five, not only was I stressed with the same 67 word cue card as you were, I didn't understand the cue card because I didn't speak French. <laughs> So it's like, it's like what you did, like times 10. So if I could figure it out, everyone who's listening could figure out how to master their talk. So I know you have a couple other points there that you wanted to share as well. Of course, I was just waiting for your segue there. But anyway, so part <laughs> two, <laughs> I thought it was like a chemistry of going on. So I was like, okay, let's, it's a Canadian thing. Anyways, so two, <laughs> the second thing that we need to do is figure out how to overcome our fear. How do we solve for this issue? Because if all of our presentations at work or at school, how do we create an environment where we do present something we're passionate about and we see and view public speaking as something interesting? And here's an easy solution for entrepreneurs. This is what I call the repeatable presentation. So present mm. something you're passionate about that you can present hundreds of times. Because the secret that the best speakers in the world don't tell you is that, yeah, they present a lot, but they only present one or two presentations. Because if you present 10 presentations, you're always asking yourself the same question for each one, which is, yes. what content should I put in here? What content should I put in here? And over and over again. But if you're only presenting the same presentation 10 times, now you're asking yourself a different question, which is, what emotions am I conveying here? Does my audience actually understand me? Should I talk to them? Should I think about them? And then that's how the presentation morphs over time. So if you're an entrepreneur listening, your presentation that's repeatable is super simple. It's your business. Tell us your vision. Tell us the mission. Tell us what you're trying to achieve and answer the following question, which is how would the world change if every single human being who needed your service used your service? That's how you can imagine that world for people. So for me with MasterTalk, if everyone in the world used my communication tools for free to master their talk, everyone would share their ideas with the world. And if everyone did that, we would all realize that our ideas matter and that we matter. So that's the world that I'm trying to create. For you, it's more people would be more successful with their book launches. They would have better businesses. They would be able to take care of their families, et cetera, et cetera. Loop continues. Authors, simple, right? It's the book, <laughs> right? You talk about the book. And there's a lot of speakers you can think about to kind of help you mold that. Some examples that come to mind is Scott Harrison, who's the author of Thirst, which is his personal memoir. He speaks on the book a hundred times a year, I think is a great analogy. And obviously Seth Godin, of course. Uh, so I think those are two people we can, we can take a look at as benchmarks. So that's the repeatable presentation. And if you're not an entrepreneur and author, just to give a side note for the 10% who aren't, doesn't mean you can't implement this. You know, I, I get the same question all the time. You know, Julia comes up to me and says, well, Brendan, I work at a bank nine to five what's repeatable about that? Like I got projects and the projects change and it's not interesting. And I go, well, Julia, what are you passionate about outside of work? Then she could say, you know, I love to bake. I love to run marathons, you know, Spartan races or something. Say exactly. 
present on that. And she goes, what do you mean? <laughs> go, what do you mean? What do I mean? And I go, make a presentation on how marathons transformed your life. Nutrition tips, health yeah. tips. And if only one person takes action on your ideas, you'll get addicted to presentations. Because mm-hmm. if somebody goes up to you and goes, Hey, Jill, I know your name's not Jill. I'm just using it as, as an example. In case you were you're like, I'm, my name's Kim. Like, what's going on? So let's say, let's say we come up to Julian and we say, hey, you know, Julie, I went on a run this morning because you really inspired me. What Julie is going to say is, how can I inspire 10 people like Kim or Brendan or John or Josh? And that's what happened with me. Mm-hmm. When I started communication, I've presented my keynote probably 300 times now. But, and I'm not exaggerating those numbers. That's what it takes to be great. When I was doing the first two, three times, it was like, like to my mom and my sister. And then now I speak <laughs> to more than that, right? It's uh, continuous. Then last thing, unless you want to interject there. Just want to. You know, the only thing I wanted to say about that was, and I didn't mention this when we were talking earlier, but um, there's a really great organization called Toastmasters. And I'm in Toastmasters. I'm actually the president of our club. And one of the things I love about Toastmasters is the feedback that you get. So um, a lot of my business, everybody knows I'm in in business and I'm a publisher in that. So I test out a lot of uh, my speeches on them. And uh, just you get like such valuable feedback and I was just thinking back to earlier this year, um, Toastmasters does competitions every year. So I had prepared a speech, you know, I'd been working on it. I won at the club level. I won at the next level. You know, the whole club was giving me feedback. I was practicing it. I would refine things. They'd give more feedback. I was refining. And then COVID hit and they canceled the rest of the competition. <laughs> I was so sad because I wanted to, because I had like this amazing speech that had been refined, like refined like gold, you know, put through the fire and refined. Mm. And so that's sort of like what happens to that signature speech that you have, right? The first few times you do it, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. You might not be sure. But one thing you had mentioned uh, when we were talking before was the fact that, you know, when you do that speech, get the feedback on it. And you suggested lots of different ways to get feedback. You, uh, and you love to sit with the people in the audience. You love to take them out for uh, a coffee or a bite and talk to them about your speech and what was good. So, you know, there's lots of ways to get feedback on your speech. And the important thing to remember when getting feedback is not to take it personally. They're not judging you. They're just saying, okay, this part of the speech could use some improvement. And here's how I think you can improve it. Right? So it's not really about judging you. It's just like, okay, uh, you know, maybe if you said it this way, it would have a little bit more effect. Or maybe use this word. It's a little bit more delicious than this word. Right? So when you do that and you don't take it personally, over time, you can craft an incredibly powerful speech. Yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree with everything you mentioned. It's really good stuff. Okay, one... segue back again. <laughs> so, so one thing I wanted to add for Toastmasters, I'm a huge advocate for it as well. I think it's a very inexpensive way of joining that type of community and having that accountability because speech coaches are really expensive, right? So I definitely recommend that. Another thing I want to say 
is I also want you to develop an elite presenter's mindset. So what does that mean? It means, no, it's the competition is not canceled. It means you have another year to prepare for it. So keep practicing. Ooh. Right. Well, I do have it all sitting there. And everybody in, in the club said, Kim, you better keep that speech because we expect you to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But trust me, no speech is ever perfect. So you got to keep practicing it for another year. So yep. when you come back next year, while everyone else is sleeping and de- sad and like, oh, I don't want to practice, you're just going to annihilate them. <laughs> Thank right? you. I'll receive that. <laughs> yeah, that's the key. That's the key. And one thing I want to say about feedback before I go to point three is, yes, being fee- open to feedback is definitely important. And I'll even give you an extreme example that you'll never have in your life, but it explains why I'm at the level I am, at the, the age that I'm at. So how the competition program works with the coaches, I don't say, I say this a lot, but you kind of get the extra bonus, is most of these coaches are senior executives. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because they're alumni of the program. So when they graduate, they're like in the top 1% of the business faculty. So when they get their job offer, they climb up the corporate ladder really, really fast. And then when they get to the top, they give back to the program, right? In the same way, I'm still a coach for some of the, but the way that they give feedback is very different than most humans. So let's say, because for them, like the evenings, they could be spending time with their families, like their one dinner a night and they skip it to come to the universe and give feedback. So if you don't do a good job, it is not, even if you do do a good job, it is not fun. Trust me. I, I remember, and this is what's fun too at the program. Cause I joined when I was 19, the first year I was there my whole, my whole university uh, career basically. I did a three year with the program and which is rare. And the, <laughs> yeah, cause it's crazy. But anyway, so, so I get there, I'm 19, you know, I think I'm really cocky. So I'm one of the 80 people who got in. And I do the first prep with my coach and he just looks at me and he's like, and he just starts laughing. And he's like, you call this a presentation? Why are you wasting my time? And that's, and I, I, I softened that a lot. There's a lot more swearing there. Than should, and Thank I just, you. Cause this is a G rated podcast. Yeah, don't worry. I, I know very Ontario. Don't worry. It's Canadian. <laughs> so anyways, I'm sitting there. I mean, I'm standing there like, whoa. And just to give people another idea for feedback of how intense this is. So in, in the fall semester, there's a whole class, university class, that's accredited by the school. That's one of your university courses just for the competition, which means if you get first, second, or third place, you get an automatic A+. That's one of the benefits of taking that class. That's why a lot of people try really hard. But trust me, you don't do this class with the grades. So one <laughs> of those three presentations, okay, you do three presentations in class. But how they work is it's not like, Oh, you know, Kim, you got the give the presentation with the cue card. No, 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 no. It's you present for 20 minutes and you get barraged with 40 minutes of Q&A. So you get like all of the students who are melting. Their only goal is to shut you down. So, so yes, they, because they want the top spot. Exactly. Well, <laughs> well, not really. It's more about like, a, so we're all helping you because we're all on different teams, but we're all like, compete. but it's a good, it's a good guess though. Definitely. So, what they do it is it's not like, oh, could you talk about your marking strategy? You know, it's like, go to slide 26. This is wrong. Can you explain why this is right in your opinion? And, they, and this is, it's just, and, but the thing is, all the teams are different. So you have finance teams, accounting teams. So they're all bashing you on their area of expertise because they only do accounting cases. They only do. So, and then obviously, then the lead, so the lead of the group, which was yours truly, 
gets gets 10 minutes right alone with them and then there's the teacher who gets another 10 so i was the i was the warlord of this thing for like two out of the three years so i was the crazy kook so when it, when it was my turn for questions people would be listening because they're like what is brendan gonna say this time and every side i just like messed them up it was great but it's the point of this and that's why i'm good at public speaking right the point is feedback's important so that's the third tip right besides because you mentioned audience mastery so we got that so let's talk about feedback even to this day as a professional, I've done this probably 500 times. I do five keynotes a week. Like I'm still presenting a lot. I am always big on feedback. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about how to do that better. One thing I love to do is I record my keynotes and I send it to 25 people, not three people, not five. Ah. But when I ask for feedback, this is what's really important. I don't say, hey, Kim, can you give me feedback? No, that's useless. What I do instead is I say, Kim, can you give me time-stamped feedback? So when Kim sends me back a document, let's say she spends like 20 minutes looking it over, she doesn't go, Brendan, this sucked or this is great. She says, go to 358. So I go to the video. She goes, here? Why were you not smiling if you were saying something joyful? Or worse, why did you look happy when you were saying something sad? But since 25 people are looking at it, you have this huge amount of feedback with a bunch of timestamps. And it's really difficult, but a lot of sports athletes do this, like Kobe Bryant, they rewatch their own tapes. So that the second version of the presentation is, uh, is not even comparable to the first. So that's an easy tidbit that you guys can all take away. Awesome. So we've been focusing in more in on the, the vocal communication, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, how do you marry your vocal communication with your writing communication? Because mm. if you want to be seen the right way, there's got to be a connection between the two, doesn't there? Of course. So the way that I see it, and everyone's going to have their own style, I just want to push it out there because a lot more people prefer writing other people prefer podcasting, et cetera, et cetera. So I think a good way for us to start the conversation is what is your preferred medium? So I knew going into the business that I'm not a writer. I'm, I'm good at it, but I'm not like, uh, you know, S Stephen King or something. Like, I'm not like a good, like, I'm not like, I'm not going to spend hours like nitpicking like little words. But what I will spend nitpicking is the way I bring the script to life. So the way I present it on video, that's like my bread and butter. So how I, how I do mesh the, mesh the two and how you can do it, let's kind of do a comparison here. So I script all of my videos word for word because on video, you need to be very structured about your thinking mm -hmm. so that when you present, no questions come out. It's clear, it's concise. You can share it 100,000 times and you're good. But since I'm forced to write it at the beginning, it helps me a lot when I re-communicate it back to people through video because I have a very structured approach to it. Whereas when I started, it was just like, hey guys, uh, yeah, Brandon here. Uh, what are we talking about? And then like, you know, I, I just kept dialing, right? But the opposite is also true. So let's say you're someone who's, you know, really strong at writing or really bad at it, but really good at podcasting or vocalizing your thoughts. What you want to do is the opposite. You want to start podcasting recordings of yourself saying hey guys there's some thoughts i have re-listen to that and then transcribe mm, right so that's yes. so this, you want to play like the modes so for me i like going written to video other people like doing pod to written but it's all intertwined like you mentioned awesome well any last comments before we tie it up today's episode of course i always like to share my favorite quote which is be insane or be the same 
So if you want to be like everyone else, oh, yeah, I like that. Be, I, I got like you, Barry Ontario, I'm with you. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so it is the point that I'm driving with: be insane or be the same is the following. If you want to be like everyone else, go ahead and do that. But if you're listening to a podcast like this, you probably want to do something different with your life. You probably want to make an impact, something worth doing. So my advice is to ask yourself the following conversation or the following question. Don't you find it odd that a 22-year-old kid that you're listening to right now started a YouTube channel on vlogs, not on comedy, but on public speaking, mm. and then went on to still live in his mother's basement, isn't planning on leaving his mother's basement <laughs> until he's 31, is sitting on a mattress as he's having this very conversation, mm. he's a six-figure income, doesn't own a car, how does any of these decisions make sense? And that is the point of the quote. The only person these decisions make sense to is yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? And when you start making those decisions down to that level, right, then you'll start to live the life that you're meant to live. So be more insane. Love it. Love it. So, Brendan, how can people connect with you if they've heard you today and they're like, I got to learn more about this guy and what he teaches on? Absolutely. So if you want to connect with me, um, I'm not famous or anything. So feel free to just message me (laughs) on Instagram. I'm at Master Your Talk. You can send questions, comments, complaints, insults, happy with anything, always answer everything. And if you want to check out my YouTube channel, that's Master Talk in one word. So I share all of the tips and tricks i teach a lot of my ceo clients and you get all that for free so check it out that is awesome well thank you so much brendan for being on the show so this has been brendan and me kim thompson pinder on the author to authority podcast thank you so much for listening and we will see you on the very next episode bye now thank you so much for listening to the author to authority podcast i have a free gift for you I'd like to invite you to download a sample of my newest book, Author to Authority, coming out this year. If you enjoy the podcast, you will enjoy learning how becoming an author can change not only your life, but your business as well. Go to www.authortoauthority.com forward slash free dash sample. So that is www.authortoauthority.com forward slash free sample. Have a great day and stay safe.